understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? If you own a home that is mobile and 14 cars that aren't, you might be a redneck. I don't think that's funny. I had a dream last night that a hamburger was eating me. <laughs> Well, good morning. Um, this is the second message in a series that we have titled Punchline. And no, I am not Harley. But everybody's sitting out there thinking, where's Harley? Right? That's what everybody's thinking. I've had that question asked. Well, I'm not Harley, thankfully. And, um, but anyway, I am going to have the opportunity to teach uh, this morning, which I'm a little bit nervous, I'm going to be honest, because this will be the first time that I have taught without either a video or kind of tag teaming or something along those lines. And so I don't really have that crutch to lean on. I'm up here kind of on my own. So y'all kind of bear with me. Give me a little, give me a little break because I'm a little bit nervous. But um, the, uh, the, the title of this series is Punchline. And so we're talking about how Jesus would use the punchline and how Jesus would use humor uh, to really focus and to get um, to make a teaching point. And so when we were putting this series together and, and we kind of got to this specific, uh, this specific message, Harley said, hey, man, you, you need to come up with a moment of inappropriate humor or inappropriate laughter that you've experienced in my li- in your life. And I, I'm thinking, okay, that, that shouldn't be too hard. My middle name is inappropriate. And so I'm really good at, 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 you know, I've got a lot of inappropriate things that I have done in my life. And so it shouldn't take long. So I was thinking about it and going through the different, many different opportunities that I could tell, the story that I could tell. And I was talking to Beth and, and I said, uh, what do you think? And she said, I, I know the one you have to tell. You have to tell the funeral story. That's pretty inappropriate. Yeah, the funeral story. So, so I'm going to tell you the funeral story. So we're at a funeral in a small country church. Now, this church has about uh, 16 pews in it. It's a very, very, very small church. And we're at this funeral, and the, uh, the place is absolutely packed with people because this was a, a, a well-respected individual in the community, and so it is full. Every pew is filled. Around the walls are full. In the foyer, everywhere. There are people standing outside at this funeral. This place, you cannot put another person in this church. It's kind of like Bomb Stadium was last night. All right, that's what I'm talking about, whoever that was. Uh, but it was packed. I'm talking it was full of people. And so I'm sitting there in this specific church. It's got two sets of pews on, on either side. There's a middle aisle. And I'm kind of sitting right inside uh, on the inside seat. And Beth's sitting beside me. And we're sitting there. And the funeral's begun. The casket's up front. The body's in the casket. We are having a funeral. And there is a, the, a lady is doing a solo. She's singing a solo and she's uh, a relative of the deceased. And so it was very quiet, very emotional, very uh, reverent. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I look up and there's a wasp. There's this big red wasp that's flying around in the room. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that, this is not good. If you know me very well, you know that I, I can't stand wasps because I get stung all the time. I, 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 where I work is there's just these, there, we, have these uh, we have these yellow things that go over the top of, of the fence at the ballpark and these yellow things are just habitats for wasp nests and I get stung all the time and so I do not like wasps. So I, I'm really not paying attention. I'm watching this wasp because I don't want him to sting me. And so this wasp, he, he, I guess he lights. I guess a wasp lights. He lights on the guy that is sitting directly in front of me and to my left. So he's actually right in front of Beth. And he, the, the wasp lights on his back right in that spot. You know when you lay down in bed at night and the mosquito bites you in that spot that you can't get to no matter how hard you try and you have to get up and scratch your back on the wall or on the door jam. You know what I'm talking about? That's where this wasp landed on this dude's back. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, internalizing what do I need to do? And I think, okay, I need to flick the wire, thump this wasp off of this dude's back. And, and I guess the lady, uh, a couple of people down from me probably was thinking the same thing to some degree. And so as I am getting ready to flick the wasp off of this dude's back, um, this church also, it, it's an older church and it had songbooks, you know, in the back of the pews. And the lady sitting beside Beth, I don't know who the lady was. Ma'am, if you're in here today, I apologize that I'm telling this story. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I apologize. I don't know who the lady was, but she reaches up, she grabs the songbook. It has a hard cover, and she took the songbook. Now, I was going to flick it. She takes the songbook, and she she squashes the wasp on the guy's back. Y'all know what happened. The wasp stung the gentleman. That's not the best part of the story. Have y'all ever seen the... uh, Y'all remember Ray Stevens? Remember in the Mississippi Squirrel Revival, right? Okay, that actually happened in this funeral, okay? So the, the guy is stung by this red wasp. He jumps up out of the pew, and I'm not judging, not judging. He jumps up out of the pew, and he uses an expletive. Now, I'm not saying one expletive is better or worse or, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging the levels of expletives, but he used one that's probably a little higher on most people's scales. I'm going to tell you which one it was. Talk to me after church. And he uses this expletive very loudly in the middle of this funeral. And, of course, all eyes, boom, on this guy. And I'm sitting there, and I guess I should have been appalled. I probably should have been appalled, but I wasn't. I was, I was tickled. And I started laughing. And I'll be, you know that laugh that you have when you're laughing and you're not supposed to laugh, but you can't stop laughing and it just gets worse. You start snorting and you start making these terrible noises. That was me in not church, a funeral. So long story short, it gets to the point Beth says, shut up. She's like, you know, you're doing the thing. Shut up, Cole. We actually have to get up and leave. We left. We left the funeral. We got, I, had to, I couldn't control myself. Inappropriate laughter, it was very inappropriate. So as we're moving forward and you're like, okay, how does that, how does, what are we talking about here? What, we just had a comedy show. We're talking, about, what is going on? We're talking about Jesus and humor. We're talking about how Jesus used laughter in his teaching. And when we think of, of Jesus, we often think um, of, a, of a man who, who was filled with sorrows and who was constantly in deep thought and inner reflection. And that is very true. Jesus was that person without question. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus laughed. Now, it probably would not be obvious to you or to me as a 2018 reader of the New Testament. We typically completely miss the humor in the Bible and the humor that Jesus taught in the New Testament. And it's really it's a cultural thing because what was funny to a first century Jew is not really funny today. Uh, we read it and we don't get it, right? And no different than something that's funny to me today is probably not would not have been funny to Jesus. It's just culturally speaking, the time, uh, the location where he lived, it's just, it's different. And so we miss a lot of Jesus' humor, but perhaps the surest way to see the humor of Jesus is in his comic, exaggerated images that he would use in his teaching. Jesus was the master of, um, the master of, of, of pressure and release, of, of using the absurd and using extremes and exaggerations because Hebrew humor was all about extremes and exaggerations, and Jesus was great at that. 
Um, I had several examples of that in the script, and I was like, man, I just can't cover all that, so I, I, I took it out. And we're really, we're just going to focus on this one instance where Jesus used extremes and exaggerations to, as a punchline in an effort to make a point, in an effort to teach. Jesus understood the power and the art of the punchline. So as we jump into the Bible, we are going to talk about a story from the book of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 25. And you probably have all have heard it. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you probably never knew that there was humor in the story of the Good Samaritan, but there is. So we're going to just jump right in. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, the Bible says that one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Now, so what we have here is an expert in religious law trying to test the author of the law. Probably not going to go well. By asking him this question, he says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's the first question. We're going to actually have two questions that we're going to address. The first one was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember, this individual is trying to trick and trap Jesus. And so Jesus... He's called a teacher, and so in the rabbi way of teaching a theology student, Jesus will answer the man's question with a question. Verse 26, Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? You're an expert in the law. What does it say? You tell me. Verse 27, the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And... And this is where we're really going to focus today. And love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus says, right. Do this and you will live. You got it, man. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. You nailed it. Those are the exact right words. Now, of course, it is something different to interpret the law correctly. And it's a totally different thing to be able to internalize it and perform it. See, Jesus knew exactly where this man's heart was. Jesus knew the, the actions and behaviors that this man has exhibited throughout his life. And this guy knew it as well. That's the cool thing. As we move on into verse 29 here in just a second, we see that Jesus' answer to the man's question actually makes him go, huh, not sure if I meet that qualification. Because he begins to internalize his own life and his own actions. He begins to feel a little bit insecure about his treatment of others. It's kind of funny how God works that way sometimes. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. See, he's kind of beginning to question himself at this point. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's the second question. Who is my neighbor? And we could ask the exact same question to ourselves. So, whereas this man was asking the question, kind of in your own mind right now, ask yourself that question. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus sets up his next question, that question, he sets it up with a story, which kind of hit, hit the pause button for just a second. This is actually a, a fulfillment of prophecy right in front of us. The Old Testament the, talks about how the Messiah would come and he would teach in parables. He would teach in stories. And right here we have Jesus doing that. He's actually teaching in a parable. And so in verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Now, this was a very common thing. 
It was not unusual at all. This was a very dangerous road. It was a known commodity that it would be dangerous to travel on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Again, this is normal. Now, we should say at this point, it is no longer just Jesus and the, um, the expert in religious law. It's not just him anymore because we know that anytime Jesus would teach, there would be a crowd that would gather. So at this point, there has been a crowd that has begin, begun to gather around Jesus. So, so there's a lot of people that are starting to kind of trickle in because Jesus is teaching. So all of these people that are listening to Jesus talk, they're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's sure. That's not, that's not outrageous. That's totally acceptable. Um, he, he probably should have known better. You know, he probably should have had his concealed carry with him. I mean, this, this, is, this is a known dangerous road. This is going to happen. Verse 31, Jesus continues on. It says, by chance, a priest came along. Now, that word, by chance, we're going to talk a little bit later, and we're actually going to say uh, maybe it's a little providential in, in, and as we continue on. But by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, a couple of things that we have to um, read into the text. One is this. The man that had been beaten up and had been left half dead on the side of the road, this would have been a Jew. It is understood that this is a Jewish individual. Okay? That's important. It's understood that this is a Jewish individual. And, and we see here that the priest walks up, looks, Goes across the road, goes and continues on. And, and he doesn't do anything. And some people have said, well, he's a priest. He cannot touch a dead body because, it, you know, if, if he didn't know if the man was dead. Um, and he couldn't touch a dead body because it would make him unclean for his temple uh, responsibilities. But, remember, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So there's no temple responsibilities that are being had. He's going away from the temple. So that's not a valid excuse. And then, in fact, the priest, one of the priestly duties, in fact, was if the man had have been dead, it was his responsibility to bury him, regardless. He was supposed, he was expected to bury him. So there's no excuse here. And as we're talking about the priest, I want to point this out also. In Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, in the culture that Jesus was teaching to specifically at that moment, the priest was at the top. He was the best of the best. The priest would have been the equivalent to uh, the Catholic Church reverence of the Pope. I mean, the priest is at the top of that cultural ladder. He knows how to talk. He knows how to walk. He wears the right clothes. He lives on the right side of town. He drives the right car. His kids go to the right school and they play on the right ball team. He's at the top of the cultural. He's at the top of the religious uh, ladder. He, he is the best of the best. And he just looks the other way, and he walks on. Now, as the people are listening, they're probably thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty cold, man. That dude, he could have at least went over and made sure he wasn't dead. And then verse 32, Jesus takes it a step further. He says that a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. Now, this is not a priest. This is a Levite. Okay, this is a Levite. So it's not a priest. It's not quite at the very tip top of the social ladder, but pretty close. This, this is... This is the, we're talking the high holy men of, 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 the, of the Hebrews here. The, this is the top of the ladder. These are the best of the best. This is a helper in the temple. He had no reason to stay ceremonial clean. He walks up, he looks over, and he sees this guy's half-dead body. The Bible actually, Jesus actually says that he walks over and at least looks at him. But 
he also passed by on the other side. So he took it a step further. He checked him out, but he moved on as well. He crossed to the other side of the road. So the priest and the Levite, these guys that are at the very tip top of the social ladder, they really are there based on their birth and their heritage. That's just the culture. That's, that's where they get to be. It had nothing to do um, with their works and the way that they had lived their life. So again, the people that are listening to Jesus, they're probably starting to smirk. You know, they're breaking into a smile, shaking their head. Man, that ain't right. You shouldn't have done that. And now we get to the extreme. Because remember, Jesus' humor, Hebrew humor, was about extreme and exaggeration. So verse 33, Jesus drops the punchline. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And right there, people are like, what? A Sam- How did a Samaritan get into this story? Man, we went from the priest and the Levite, and now you're throwing a Samaritan at us? Because, you see, the Samaritan was the most hated, despised, and rejected aspect of Jewish culture, of Hebrew society. If you were a Samaritan, you were hated by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds of mixed blood and of somewhat mixed religion. So if the priest and the Levite were at the top of the social ladder, the Samaritan was at the bottom. These are extremes and opposites. The Jews hated the Samaritans, but the Samaritans hated the Jews also. There was no love loss between these two cultures. The Samaritans hated the arrogant Jews very equally. So for a Samaritan to show up in this story about a Jewish priest and a Jewish temple assistant, this was a big shock to the listeners. And it would have been a big shock to those reading about this as time goes by. So the Bible continues on. It says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, remember, a, a hated Jewish man by the Samaritan, the Bible says, Jesus says that he felt compassion on him. And for this culture, for the people that he were ta- was talking to, this would have been an extreme contrast that was hilarious. This would have been funny. This was the punchline. We would miss this. We miss this as a reader. But this would have been funny. This would have been the punchline. Holy man, priest, no compassion. Temple worker, no compassion. He walks away. Low down, dirty, rotten, hated Samaritan. He doesn't walk up to the man and and take what's left. He doesn't finish him off. He doesn't spit on him. He actually shows compassion. He shows kindness. This is funny. This can't happen. This doesn't happen. This is an extreme opposite. At this point, the crowd's probably slapping their knees, you know. Man, I didn't see that coming, Jesus. You Funny funny guy. Funny guy. And he didn't just stop with compassion. Jesus goes on and he says that he didn't stop with feeling. He actually does something about it. In verse number 34, Jesus says that going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, at this point, the people who were listening to Jesus had to have been rolling on the ground laughing. Are you kidding me? Not only does the priest walk by and the Levite walks by, but a Samaritan steps up, shows compassion, and then he pays for it? Come on, Jesus. I I can't take this. This is is more than I can bear. This is hilarious to these, these listeners. 
And then Jesus does what any good teacher would do. He's got them, he's got their attention. He's got them focused on what it is he wants to teach. And now he begins to change the, change the tune a little bit. The laughter is probably beginning to die out. And he goes back to the original question. Remember what was it? The first question was, what must I do to gain eternal life? And the man answered the question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second question was what? Who is my neighbor? Who is that? So again, I, I ask the same question in your own mind. Who is my neighbor? Put yourself in the position of the expert in religious law. Put yourself in that position. Who is my neighbor? Jesus, in verse 36, is going to ask the, answer the question. He's going to say, you want to know who you have to love? Because what was the expert in religious law really asking? Was he asking, who do I have to love? No. He was wanting to find out who he did not have to love. Who can I not love and still be okay, Jesus? So verse 36, Jesus is going to answer the question. He says, now... Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Who do you think was the neighbor? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You see, the expert in religious law walked in trying to trap Jesus and to trick Jesus. And it ended up with the man, the expert in religious law, getting a very, very serious lesson and who you, you're supposed to love, who that neighbor is in the story. We have no idea what goes on past this. Luke ends it right there. Uh, we, we don't know uh, what the expert in religious law does with this information. In all likelihood, it, it changes nothing. I mean, he was there for the purpose of tricking Jesus. So we don't know what the listeners uh, did as a result of that. We have no idea. The, the story stops, and it's never brought back up again. It's the end of it as far as Luke is concerned. The expert in religious law came wanting Jesus to confirm to him through that second question that it was okay to select groups of people that it was okay to hate based on any differentiation you want to come up with. What had started out as a test about, of Jesus about salvation, which Jesus at that moment, it was all about the law because Christ had not gone to the cross yet. So what started out as a law discussion became a who is included in the group of people that you must love and treat with respect and kindness. Who is my neighbor? Jesus' answer was very simple. You love God with every fiber in your being. With your blood, with your sweat, with your tears, you love Him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your spirit. And you love your neighbor. And your neighbor, His answer is everyone. Because if a Samaritan can love a Jew, you can love everybody. Because again, these are the extreme opposites of that day. There, were, there, there was no uh, groups of people that were further apart than the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. So Jesus is saying with that, if this guy can love that guy, you can love everybody. In fact, our bottom line... Love for others flows from a radical love of God with no boundaries. Love for others flows from a radical love of God with no boundaries. The neighbor love that we're talking about shows no boundaries. 
because it comes from a radical love of God. If you love God the way you're supposed to, Jesus is basically saying, when you love God the way you're supposed to, there are no boundaries to who you love when it comes to your neighbor. You love everyone equally. According to Jesus, what made the priest and the Levite different from the Samaritan had nothing to do with their race. It had nothing to do with who they were, where they were, where they were from, but it had everything to do with the fact that the Samaritan showed compassion and took it to the step of action. And the priest and the Levite did nothing. The Samaritan, not the holy men, loved God in that radical way that resulted in a love of his neighbor with no boundaries. At that point, Jesus drops the mic. That's it. That's the end of lesson. I've said all you need to know. Who is my neighbor? Everybody. No matter who they are, where they're from, what they do. Everyone falls in that category. The end of the story. The end of the comedy. Now again, Luke leaves the story very open-ended for us. And I think that there's a purpose there. The story is very open-ended. We do not know what happens to the expert in religious law. We do not know what he does. We don't know if he turns over a new leaf. and We, we have no idea. We have no idea if the listeners in the crowd have a conversion or have an experience. We, we, we have no clue. So really, the only thing that we can take from that is how it affects me and how it affects us collectively in the face of what Jesus taught. That's really the next part of the story because we don't know what happens to the expert in religious law or the listeners. So how does it affect me? See, my love for others should flow from a radical love of God that creates a love for others with no boundaries. And that word radical, it's a really popular word in the church right now. I mean, every radical, we, we love using that word. And it's a great word, and it, it really defines what we're talking about. Because radical love, love without boundaries, is a really very messy thing. It's messy. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. It has nothing to do about knowing God's commandments and knowing every verse there is in the Bible. It has nothing to do with my position or your position. It has nothing to do with our interpretation of God's law. It has nothing to do with my race. It has nothing to do with your cultural background. It has nothing to do with where you were born or who you were born to. It has everything to do with the way that you treat others and the way that you respond to others. It is a direct result of my love for God. It's how I love others with no boundaries. The Samaritan didn't just show compassion and love for the man. He actually showed it. He didn't just show it for someone like him. The Samaritan showed love and compassion to his enemy. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they were enemies. And he showed it to his enemy. The law expert was doing everything he could to misuse the law. He wanted the law to define for him who he did not have to love. And Jesus pretty much took that away. He said that the love of a neighbor has no boundaries. Now, I'm going to go through kind of a list here. And after, we, uh, after the 930 worship experience, had a conversation with, with a lady. And, and we were talking about how some of these statements are really hard. I mean, we're talking about, again, what's that word? Radical. We are talking about a radical love that shows no boundaries and gets very messy. When we're talking about love your neighbor as yourself. So some of this stuff's tough. But what we're talking about, no boundaries, what does that mean? What does no boundaries mean? It means you love the addict. You love the person that others reject. 
You love the abused. and You love the abuser. You love nations that pursue other gods. That's a tough one right now, isn't it? Culturally speaking. I mean, it's all about culture. Our culture, man, that's, that's a tough statement. You love those that pursue other gods. You love the despised. You love the right. And you love the wrong. You love the communist just as much as you rep- love the Republican. And you love the Democrat. You love your enemy. Everyone. Jesus in the story is saying, when the question was asked, what must I do? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Everyone. That, that we, could, we could go forever with a list of who we have to love. And it is messy. It is a messy thing when you're talking about a radical love with no boundaries. You don't just love people like you, and I don't just love people like me. My love has no boundaries. Now, that kind of brings us to today, and it brings us to how that affects me and how that affects you. And the question is, how does my story end? Because we do not know how the story ends in Luke chapter 10, verse 37, because Luke stops the story. He doesn't tell us anything else. He he just kind of leaves it at that. So the question now is, how does the story end for me today? How do I go out after we finish up here in about 15 minutes? How do I go out... And how do I take what Jesus said here to the expert in religious law and how does it apply to me? You see, Stuttgart Harvest Church, who we are, is in a nutshell what Jesus is teaching right here. I uh, had had several people ask the question over the course of the last several years, who are you guys? What do y'all do? What are y'all about? You know, yeah, a little, little different, a little strange, do things a little bit differently, which is fine. Who are you? What are you about? What is your vision? What is your mission? And, and I was, uh, I've thought about it and I've answered it several different ways. But at the end of the day, the answer always comes back in some shape to what we're talking about today. Stuttgart Harvest Church began when God began moving a group of people in the summer of 2009. Didn't know what the movement was, didn't know what it was going to become, had no clue. But there was a movement that began taking place, and then um, we got hooked up with Harley. And in November of 2009, we had what we called a soft launch. I still don't know what a soft launch is. Soft launch, cool, man. That's what we're going to do. Harley said we're going to do a soft launch. I said, okay, rock and roll. Let's do it. So we had a soft launch in November of 09. We had a soft, another one, a soft launch in December of 09. And we had a soft launch in January of 09. Three in a row, three months. And we had these soft launches, and I guess we were practicing. I, I think that's what we were doing. We were kind of practicing. And then on Valentine's Day 2010, we had our hard launch. This was the day that we have met every Sunday somewhere since. Since Valentine's Day of 2010. Uh, it's kind of ironic, I think, that it's Valentine's Day that, that we launched uh, Stuttgart Harvest Church because Valentine's you know, is the day of love, right? And through the course of the eight-plus years that we have been a church, through the course of that time, there's been a lot of, again, people have asked the question, who are you, what are you, what do you do? And, and it really it boils down to a very simple idea, who we are at Stuttgart Harvest Church and who you are if you're a part of Stuttgart Harvest Church, or who you 
hopefully are becoming, and I'm becoming. We're a church who wants to love those have, that, are un, that are not connected to a church, that are, not, are unchurched. We want to love those who have been hurt in some way by a church. And we want to do it in a radical, radical, radical way. We want to do it in a way that shows absolutely no boundaries. It's messy. That's, that's who we are. You say, who are you at Stuttgart Harvest Church? Who are you sitting in the seats of Stuttgart Harvest Church? If you're going to hang around here very long, you're going to have to be people who will love radically with no boundaries, regardless of race, regardless of culture, regardless of past events, regardless of where you live, what you do, and what you've done. Because that's who we are. We're a church that loves radically with no boundaries. Because our neighbor, according to this, is everyone. And so as we move forward, we talk about next steps. You know, we always have a next step, right? And it was tough to come up with the next step for this series, for this, this entire series, really. But specifically, for this message, it was difficult to come up with the next step. And we were kind of going back and forth. What can the next step be? What can the challenge be? And finally, what we said was, you know what? The next step is simply what Jesus said to do. Go and do the same. You see, as we walk out of these doors in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to go to work. Hopefully not today. But at some point this week, we're going to go to work. We're going to go home to family. Uh, we're we're, we're going, to va- going on vacation. We're, we're going to do all, all of us are going to go our separate ways. But over the course of the next seven days, we are going to come into contact with people. That is almost guaranteed. We will come into contact with people. And we will come into contact with a divine appointment and a divine opportunity to simply love radically with no boundaries. Don't know how many people, don't know how many opportunities, but I promise you, just like the Samaritan, he was given a divine appointment with God or by God in this story. I'm going to have that divine appointment at some point this week, and so are you. So our challenge, our next step as the band makes their, begins making their way up. Our challenge, our next step for this week is very simple. It is taking exactly what Jesus said. You're going to get an opportunity to have a divine appointment. And you're going to have an opportunity to love radically and to love with absolutely, positively, no boundaries. And our challenge this morning, our next step this morning is basically taking the exact words of Jesus and saying this. Just like what the the Good Samaritan did, Jesus said, now go and do the same. Let's pray. God, like the expert in the law, I often, often work so much harder trying to define who my neighbor is instead of simply loving everyone around me with this very same radical love that you showed to me at the cross. I ask that this week you would prepare me in the event that I receive a divine appointment like the Samaritan and that I show a love with absolutely no boundaries to those that I connect with. God, I also ask that you would completely cover Stuttgart Harvest Church with a compassion for your creation, that we might exhibit our love for you through our actions and that as you commanded, we choose to go and do the same as the Samaritan. Thank you for the example of radical love that you showed us at the cross. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.